Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So first off, Happy New Year to everybody out there. Hope everybody had a happy and safe New Year's Eve. Hope everybody had a happy and safe Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you were celebrating. We definitely had a great break over here. Boy, did it go by too quickly. Like so much stuff I needed to do on it, and it seemed to just fly on by. But I only left the house once to go over to a relative's house on Christmas morning, and after that, didn't leave the house at all, which is just the way I like it because I had a plenty plenty to do around here as far as just you know spider stuff feeding spiders rehousings got some videos banked up and i'm not gonna lie i relaxed a bit played some video games watched some movies did some fun stuff so it was definitely a good break here hope everybody else had a good break as well obviously last week there was no podcast i'd be i'm gonna be honest i almost pulled it off on saturday but there was just so much going on with the holidays with christmas the build up the christmas around here that i just couldn't do it and plus i realized i hadn't taken a week off in a while and as much as i love to keep those consecutive week streaks going i i figured i i could use a break so i took a week off but we're back now and again moving into the new year i can't believe i think this is going to be the sixth year coming up, or the sixth year anniversary or something, it's something ridiculous like that. We're in season five, so six is coming up, and I'm actually shocked, honestly. I think I've said many, many times before, I'm probably sick of hearing it, this all kind of started, not as a joke, but just kind of to play around with the software, and I said, I'll do a Spire podcast, see how it goes, and... Obviously, it blew up into something quite significant, so that's been awesome. So today's going to be kind of a mixture of stuff. I had a a game plan originally, and then something happened this weekend that kind of switched what I wanted to talk about. So what we're going to talk about today is something I experienced this week. It was during the whole week of vacation. It's kind of been an up and down sort of thing. And I share it because one of the reasons I share these stories is because I don't have answers. And what ends up happening is I put something like this out here and I will hear from other folks who experience something similar. And what I hope to find from that is some type of binding thread, some type of similarity that we can start to pull information of it and figure out why does this happen. Now, as I go through the story, some of you may be reminded, those who have followed the podcast, of a very, very similar story that happened several months ago. But just in case folks haven't listened to that podcast yet or don't quite remember the story, I will just kind of quickly review it so we can kind of compare them because they are so similar. It's crazy. So let's start this the day after Christmas. I'm up in the tarantula room doing some work with a flashlight, and I'm preparing to do a video where I'm going to rehouse and talk about some of the care of my Ephibopus species. If folks remember, Aaron Cashel sent me three of the Ephibopus species back in, I believe it was June of this year, and I've been raising them up, looking ahead and looking very forward to eventually doing a genus review of all four species. I have picked up the fourth species because I couldn't, I just couldn't do it without having the fourth species. It wouldn't make any sense or to get it later on and go, all right, here are these three hopefully beautiful adults and here is the other one. But we'll get, that's not part of the story, so we won't get into that right now. But the goal, and I've been really excited about this because I know they're fast-growing species. The goal is to eventually present all of them in all their glory for folks out there because I will tell you, I've fallen in love with the genus. I They are awesome, just cool. One thing that really blows my mind is the fact that they're one of those rare spiders that looks fantastic no matter what stage you're in, whether they're slings, juveniles, adults, they've got something fantastic going on. But anyway, I digress. That's not the point of this one. The point is I was basically going around trying to figure out who I was going to rehouse because I wanted to rehouse one each of my Ephibopus murinus, my Ephibopus 
Eudemon and my Ephibopus rufusens. And the goal was to basically show those. Those are three species there and originally sent me. The goal was to show them off and be able to say, look at how well they're growing. Now, I will admit I have had one loss. It was an Emurinus that just, I believe it was failure to thrive. It never ate for me. It was one of the smaller ones I had when I put in. It didn't do a lot of burrowing. It didn't do a lot of webbing and eventually passed. So I want to put that out there. Full disclosure, which is why this, what's going to come up next kind of freaked me out even worse. But I I chalked it up to, all right, every once in a while, you're going to get a sling that doesn't thrive. All the rest of them were doing well, so I wasn't panicking. It was something I did, but it did bother me nonetheless. So going around the room, shining things with a flashlight, if anybody had seen the original video for these, they were in all different size enclosures. Some were in smaller dram vials, a couple were in really large dram vials, and then I put a larger... E. Muranus and a larger E. Udeman, I believe it was, in 20-ounce deli cups. They're a little bit bigger. Set them up with the kind of enough substrate to burrow in because they are burrowing species, but they will kind of come up off of the ground and do some webbing up high. So I set them up. I hate to use the term because people freak out, but we'll go with semi-arboreal, only meaning that I gave them a little extra height than I normally would a terrestrial tarantula and set it up a little differently than I would a terrestrial tarantula. I didn't give them a bunch of room to climb and fall from. So folks out there that get their underwear in a bunch when they hear the, that term, no, that's what I'm, I'm explaining it right there. But anyway, we're kind of doing some experimentation with the setup. So I'm going around with the flashlight and I'm trying to figure out which ones I'm going to do for the rehousing because they're all kind of growing very quickly. They're all growing their containers. I had three of those Sterilite quick latch or whatever it's called. They're about seven by five by six or so little. I love them for larger slings or smaller juveniles. So I had three of those set up ready for them. And it was just a matter of picking which spiders I was going to put into it. So as I'm shining the flashlight around, I go over to the 20 ounce deli cup that has one of the emurinus in it. And I see that the emurinus has kicked out its mold. So it is molted. I'm assuming it's going to be quite large because it was one of the larger ones to begin with. So that kind of went on my list of ones I had to rehouse. But then I found three others, including another smaller emurinus that I wanted to rehouse uh, for this video, specifically for this video. So I kind of put that in the back burner and I was looking for another enclosure for it. And then I come back later on, I shine the flashlight in and it's sitting right on top of the substrate. It's, it's out of its burrow. So I'm like, oh, this thing must be ready to eat. But I did find it odd because I don't catch these guys out all that much. And when I do catch them out, when I jostle the enclosures, like if I pick it up or if I take the top off to try to get a picture or something, they usually bolt right back to their burrows. And this one just sat there. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll get some pictures of it. Maybe I'll feed it later on, see if I can get a feeding video of it. I got sidetracked, didn't get back to it. So it was a couple days later, I go out and I check on it and it doesn't look good at all. Now, a couple things to consider here. Usually when a tarantula throws out its molt, I found that's when they're ready to eat again. They basically molt. A lot of times they will absorb, they'll suck up that extra fluid that's inside that molt. That's when they people say they quote unquote eat the molts. And then when we're done with it and they're feeling better, a lot of them will take the molt and they'll march it out and throw it wherever they usually throw their boluses or their refuse, usually in a water dish, around a water dish, in a corner. And so usually once you see the molt out, that's a sign that the spider has done its it's hardening, it's stretching, it's probably ready to eat. Even so, I usually give it a couple days, but usually a good sign that they're ready to eat. So this one had already thrown out its molt when I first discovered it, so I assume it had molted at least a few days before. So when I checked on it and saw it looking, it was sitting in a very odd position. Now, 
obviously any spider that just molts. They do something that we all lovingly refer to as spider yoga, where they get themselves in all these weird positions. They stretch out flat like a board. They'll sometimes have one side stretch out, the other side curled in, all kinds of weird things. And I get a lot of pictures from folks. It'll be like, oh my God, my tarantula just molted. I think it's in the death curl. And it's usually spider yoga. The spider basically stretching itself out, getting used to its new exoskeleton. And I've seen that obviously many, 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 many times before. However, this didn't look like spider spider yoga. This looked like a spider that was weak, not in good shape. Half of its limbs were curled under it. Its front two legs were stretched all the way out and kind of gripping the side of the enclosure. And when I kind of, I took some, I have a spray bottle that I use and I sprayed a little water underneath it just in case it needed some moisture or something. It didn't, it barely moved at all. So I'm like, this isn't good. So now I'm freaking out because obviously I already lost one of them, which bothered me. And now this one that was a good size, we're talking probably about an inch and a half or so now. So a good size juvenile is showing signs of being weak, possibly sickly. I'm a little freaked out. So I decide, all right, I'm just going to leave it alone. I did take that little spray bottle, moisten the area underneath it because God forbid, and I will say I double checked them, the substrate, it was moist. It wasn't one of these deals where the substrate had dried out or anything. The lower levels of substrate were moist. It had a water dish up top that it wasn't using, but at this point I thought it was too weak to get to the water dish. So I kind of just left it to check on it the next day. The next day, I go right up to the tarantula and flip on the lights, grab my flashlight, shine the flashlight in. It looks my a little bit better. It's stretched out a little bit more. Some of its legs are underneath it. But when I open up the top, it doesn't move at all. I, again, spray just a little water by one of its feet to see if it would respond. Nothing. I touched it with the brush. Barely moved at all. As a matter of fact, all it did was curl some other legs up under it. And I'm like, this is, this thing is not looking great. So fast forward, I get up there on Friday. I'm, I'm checking on it. It's not moving. It's not moving from the spot it's in. It doesn't seem to be. The legs seem to be getting worse. There's even more legs crawled under it. It's not responding to gentle touches. And again, I don't want to people out there thinking I'm fiddling with it needlessly. I mean, it's one of those deals where it's just I was trying to figure out if it was still alive or dead. When I say I'm touching the legs with it, I'm not in there diddling the spider for 10 minutes. It was basically just quickly brush a back leg to see if there's any response because there's nothing else I can really do. The spider's not moving. It's not very responsive. It's one by one. Its legs are curling underneath it. Just doesn't look like a good situation. So Friday, I check on it. It's in a full death curl to the point where when I picked up the enclosure and took the top off, I kind of tilted the enclosure a bit and it just rolled over on its back, full death curl. Like it barely, it was like a dead spider. Now I could see there was just barely some movement in the legs, but all eight legs were curled in, barely moving, barely responsive. This thing is just a step away from being dead. So Really disappointed at this point, really upset because not only is this spider dying, but again, I'm thinking about that other one. Like, what am I doing wrong here? I've raised in Emuranus from a tiny sling to adult before, a full-grown adult male. Not sure what's going on here. My husbandry seems to be spot on. What's happening? So I'm starting to freak out because you get one death. I, I get upset regardless. I freak out regardless. I rack my brain trying to figure out ways I might have done something differently or if it was something I did. You have two of the same species. That's that's points right toward the keeper. What are you doing wrong here? So at this point, I figure there's nothing left to lose. And I break out. I have these little, they're like four by four by inch and a half or so deep 
little, they're almost like little food containers or something. A lot of times they sell them. I get them usually when I buy spiders. If I go to a show, I got a couple of them from a show where they have the little latch tops and there's like a little hatch in it. I've used them before for just temporary housing for stuff, but I took one of these out. I took a piece of paper towel, folded it up so it was fit the bottom of it, and I moistened down a corner of it. And then I took the spider, carefully took the spider, took a little substrate underneath it, and scooped it out with a spoon and carefully placed it in the other enclosure. Now, a disclaimer, I've made fun of ICUs a million times before. I think that we use the idea that you have a spider that's sick, maybe a bacterial infection, maybe an injury, and we're going to take it out of its enclosure and put it onto some moist paper towels and it's magically going to heal the spider is kind of silly. However, I have had situations where I've used an ICU on a spider that I thought might have been dehydrated and the spider has come back. I don't know if it's easier for them to siphon when they're in that poor of a state out of the paper towels. It's probably a little easier to to siphon the water out of it. I don't know what it is, but I've had situations, uh, two before this one, where I've taken the spider out, put it in the ICU, and it's miraculously come back. So in this case, I figure I had nothing to lose, so I scooped the spider out now. The reason I had to scoop the spider out is the spider was in full death curl and was just like locked. Like it wasn't moving at all. It wasn't stretching when I when I touch it with the brush and try to get it to move. It wasn't moving at all. So I scooped it out. I put it on the moist paper towel. And I'm not sure, but it looked almost like it had pressed itself down and might have been drinking. I don't know though. It might have just been sitting on the paper towel. I don't know what the deal was, but I put it on the paper towel I cleaned out the little bit of dirt and moss that I had in there and I stuck it on a shelf and I came down and told Billy, I'm like, yeah, I just put it in the last ditch ICU just so I can keep better track of it. We'll see what happens. So I leave it sitting on the shelf. I come down Saturday morning and it's front legs are stretched out a little bit. It's back four legs are all curled under it. So I guess it looks slightly better. It looks like it at least moved. So maybe a little more perky. And then I look more closely and see that it's kind of sitting at an angle up the side of the enclosure. It had webbed up a huge spot on the side of the enclosure, like some some significant webbing, which honestly, when you have a spider that's on its quote unquote deathbed, you don't expect to see a lot of webbing. I can tell you, I've seen some spiders that are on their way out, not a lot of webbing going on. So that kind of gave me hope that maybe it was springing back. So I came in and I didn't touch it this time. I just took it down off the shelf and I kind of looked at it and it didn't look that great. So I had an idea. I was doing some feeding. I took a cricket. I pre-killed the cricket. I crushed its head, made sure it was dead. And I placed it right next to the spider. It didn't budge, didn't move. When I opened the enclosure, didn't budge, didn't move, didn't like it did nothing. And I'm like, it's probably not going to work, but I'm going to put this thing in there and see what happens. I do some work around the transfer room. I go downstairs. I come back later that evening. It's standing completely upright on all eight of its legs, finishing up the cricket. It had eaten the whole cricket. It looked like a totally new spider. I have no idea what I witnessed because a lot of times when you see stuff like this, I mean, we're talking about it had molted probably a week prior and it's not a very big specimen. Usually they're ready to eat three or four days at that size. Not only wasn't it not ready to eat, it looked like, I'm not kidding, it looked like it was on death's door. When I say I had to scoop it out with a spoon because it wasn't moving, I mean this thing looked almost as dead as dead could be, yet somehow sprang right back up to life and ate. So 
I'm feeling incredible relief that this spider is now doing fine. I'm looking over at it right now. I can see it from here. It's standing up, looking great. I'm probably going to feed it again, and I'm going to get it the new enclosure. I will probably do some type of video talking about it because I do want to kind of get this out to everybody because I want to hear if anybody's heard this kind of stuff before. I don't understand what happened. Like, it, it when I say it looked like it was dead, we're talking about when a spider, when you take a spider enclosure, and you tilt it at a slight angle, and the spider that's in the death curl just rolls over on its back and just sits there. Not a good sign. So to say that it made a miraculous recovery, I don't think is hyperbole. This thing really did make a miraculous recovery. And I've mentioned before in the death episode, and we're going to get into that in a minute, because as I was telling Billy about this, I'm like, wait a minute. In the death episode, we talked about the fact that I am never, it's very difficult to recognize when a spider is dead. I think we've all been there where we think it's dead, it's not dead. I've had situations where people think it's dead, it's molting. I've had situations where people think it's dead, it's come back. I've had situations myself where they look like they're dead and they come back. I always take the enclosure, even when I think they're dead, dead, and I set it on a shelf somewhere and I wait like a week. And if it starts molting or starts smelling like a rotting animal, then I know, unfortunately, my animal's dead. But that's to make sure I don't ever accidentally take something that may not be dead, take it out, bury it somewhere, and, well, I'd probably never find out, but have the possibility that it was alive. So this really, it's one of those situations where you're one half, one hand, you're incredibly excited. I'm incredible. I came down to Billy. I was like, I'm so happy that this thing is alive, that it's looking okay, that it's eating. But then there's the part of me that has to understand everything and why things happen that is at a loss for what I could have witnessed it. What was the situation? So while I was telling Billy about it, it all of a sudden occurred to me that this wasn't the first time that I had experienced this before. If you remember back in June 5th of 2022, and if anybody is wondering why I mentioned the year, it's because eventually we'll get years down the road. Somebody will be listening to this and they'll be able to put the dates together. But June of this year, I had a very, very almost identical situation with the Samopius Langenbuscheri. Now, as I relate the details of this story, try to keep track of how similar this really is. I spotted the sling, it had molted, and it had tossed its molt out. So I'm like, all right, this thing's going to be ready. But the sling was outside of its burrow. Even when I picked up the enclosure, it didn't go back in its burrow. Exactly like what I saw with the Emurinus. At the time, it was basically gripping some of the moss that was in the enclosure. I wasn't sure if it was looking for more moisture or not. So what I did was I took my little bottle and I carefully moistened up that moss so that if it was trying to get a drink, it could get a drink and I put it back up. Next day I come in, I find it, it's like at a really odd angle stuck to the moss, like it lost all of its ability, all of its strength to grip it. It's kind of hanging down. It looks dead. So I go to open the enclosure. I take a brush. I brush it. Doesn't move at all. Completely unresponsive. So like I did with the Emurinus, I took the same type of container, that four by four by inch and a half deep or whatever it is, plastic container, put a piece of paper towel on the bottom, moistened it off. I took the whole spider out with the moss because the spider was just, it was kind of stuck to the moss, almost like it had died gripping the moss. And I put it in that container, put the top on, put it on the shelf, let it, let it go for a bit. I come back the next day. It's still gripping the moss, kind of half on the moss, half off. So I help it very carefully, the brush, get it off the moss onto the moist paper towel. It looked like it might've drank. I couldn't tell. I left it. I come back the next day, full death curl. So I kind of, again, take the top off. I blow on it a little bit, see if it moves. It's not moving at all. Come back next day, 
Still full death curl, hasn't budged. Same exact spot. Next day, same thing. It's dead. So thinking the spider is dead, I did my thing where I take the enclosure and I set it down. I have the spot on the floor with my enclosures after I do rehousings that I have to take outside, empty the dirt, clean up. I set it on top of one of them and left it there and was checking it every day for a bit. And then I kind of forgot about it. And the two days that I checked it, it had moved. It was dead. I'm like, all right, I should probably give it the sniff test. And I kind of lost track of it. It was several days later that I happened to be doing something in the tarantula room and I walked by and I'm like, did I just see a big spider? And at first I thought it was a house spider sitting on one of the enclosures. And so I go over, I shine the light and there is the P. Langebusheri container and there is the spider stretched completely out looking rather alive. So I take the enclosure up and I put it on my table and I take the top off and I blow on it and the thing scuttles. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That thing had not moved in days, days. And I hadn't been, I had stopped putting moisture in it. It did feel like the paper towel was still a bit moist, but we're talking, it had been on the floor in that area for probably close to a week, if not more. And somehow it was alive. So I look at the situation I have with the Emiranus. I look at the situation I have with this one. And they are eerily similar, where a spider molts, kicks its molt out, should be ready to eat, comes out of its burrow, even though it's a species that usually hides in its burrow, sits right out in the open, appears dead, appears in a death curl, doesn't move for several days, gets moved out. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is it was a dehydration issue. I just can't figure out how they could be dehydrated, where in both instances, the substrate was adequately moistened. In both instances, they had water dishes on the surface. In both instances, I had moistened down the substrate up top, so they could have drank for that. I don't, that's why I don't think it's a dehydration thing, but it sure seems like it. In both instances, they eventually came back and were perfectly fine. And with this uh, Salmopius Langbusheri, uh, I did the same thing I did with this one. I pre-killed a cricket, dropped it, it pounced right on it, ate it. I fit it a couple more times and I got it in its new enclosure. And knock on wood, I'm looking at it over here and it's doing great so two situations where the spiders appeared to be on death's door two situations where i pulled them out and they miraculously came back so i don't know what's the cause of this i think it's interesting that it's two similar species obviously somopius and ephibopus are closely related genera of tarantulas i just the whole thing's kind of got my mind blown now i think I guess in the grand scheme of things, if you look at the most likely issue, the one that seems the most probable would be dehydration, but I'm telling you, I don't see how it could happen with a spider that was well hydrated before it molted, had access to water after it molted. I mean, it climbed all the way up the top. The water dish was there. The substrate, when I know they're in pre-molt, I always squirt a little water on the webbing and stuff before I go to bed to make sure they had things there. I had squirted water on the webbing beneath both of these guys. Well, one of them, I squirted water on the moss. The E. Muranus, I squirted water on the webbing beneath it a couple times, so it had access to what I don't get what the issue was. So I put this out there only because A, to let people know, I do not have all the answers. I experience things in this hobby on a weekly basis that have me scratching my head. And this is one that, you know, it's happened twice now. And Actually, now that I think of it, <laughs> this just came to me. I had a situation a while back with a P. aboricola. And this was a much larger specimen. But now that I'm thinking about it, same exact situation. This is the one where I thought it might have had been exposed to something bacterially. But same situation where it was one that spent a lot of time in its burrow, it, the substrate was moist, had a water dish up top, 
Long story short, I come in one day to find it up on the surface, not looking good, not responsive, half death curl. Take it out, put it in a tarantula ICU because I did think it might have been dehydrated. It, did a, it was acting like it was dehydrated, even though it should have had access to moisture. It was months, and this thing was doing terribly, and I was getting ready to, I was starting to talk to Billy about the fact that maybe I should put it out of its misery because it's not getting any better, and then one day, I dropped a cricket, and months after this happened, and the thing just attacked the cricket and ate it, and next thing you know, it was eating fine, it molted, and it was perfectly fine afterwards, so that one I thought was more due to, uh, it seemed like it had been exposed to something that was, for lack of a better term, poisoning it, or harming it. I think I had mentioned at that time that it had been in that container for quite some time. All I do is pour water in. It was quite conceivable that there had been some bacteria, harmful bacteria forming in the bottom of that burrow. So that's what I thought had happened. With these guys, with the two sling situation, neither of them had been in there, I honestly don't think, long enough for something like that to happen. So who knows? Totally perplexed. So if you have a story that's like this, please share it in the comments. Let us know about it because I'd like to hear if other people experience this type of thing. Because I'm telling, when I'm telling you, these guys looked about as close to death as you can get. I mean, they were as I could picture somebody who hadn't been in the hobby for a long time, looking at the spider, going full death curl, not moving. It rolls over when I have it in the box; it's dead, and then burying it or doing whatever they do with their their dead spiders. That's how bad they were. Yet they're back. They're eating fine. They're doing well. I mean, the Languishery has molted two more times. Uh, we'll see how the Muranus goes. Again, I'm, I keep looking over at it. Like, you're still okay, right? You're still okay? It's still okay. It's still sitting there looking fine. Not sure what the heck happened there. So, again, I like sometimes when there's new things, when I come across new information or new scenarios in the tarantula hobby because, again, part of me finds it fascinating. It's interesting. I can do a podcast on it, get word out, hear from other people, try to figure out what's going on. But another part of me is left confounded that I've been doing this for this long and I still have these bizarre situations that I can't quite figure out what I just witnessed, what happened, what I could have done differently. I mean, again, I've said many, many, many times the idea of the tarantula ICU kind of cracks me up because I think a lot of times we do it and it's unnecessary. I've heard people say flat out, and I don't disagree, if you have a spider that's sickly and the environment that it's in is fine, why would you want to stress it even more by taking it out of an environment it feels comfortable in and dropping it in some barren a container with a piece of paper towel. I get it, and I kind of feel that way, but this was the second instance of me taking something out, putting it in there, and seeing the spider turn around and do better. Luckily, this time, I didn't put the container down on the floor and forget about it. Who knows what would have happened? Would it have sprung back up? I don't know. Maybe it would have sprung back up and been fine. The other case, that could have been devastating because had I not checked on that for a while, it would have basically probably died of not having enough moisture or hydration. And that type of stuff really scares me because that's if I hadn't happened to notice it on the floor, who knows? If this one, same thing could have happened. So weird situation. Let me know. Have you had any of these Lazarus spiders that seemingly come back from the dead? Have you seen anything similar? I know the last time I put this up, the one about the Somopia species, I had a couple people come forward with very similar instances. One of them, I believe it was an H. Lividus. Same thing, smaller sling outside, not looking good, already molted, took it out, ICU, sprang back to life. So maybe it is a dehydration thing. I don't know. I just can't see. It, it worries me only from an angle that these weren't. If I had taken the enclosures out, like if I had taken the enclosure 
of that Langenbuchere and the moss was bone dry, the substrate was bone dry. If I wasn't going in every couple of days and misting along the sides of it, make sure if it wanted to come out and siphon some water off the sides of its container, it could do it. I'd be like, yep, you know what, dehydration. But it weirds me out that that wasn't the case. Same thing with this Muranus. It had a water dish. I had, when it closed off its burrow to the molt, I made sure that the substrate was moist. I moistened it up a little bit more, put a little moisture in it, sprayed it along the top after it molted, sprayed a little water underneath it. I don't know what the deal is. So feel free to chime in with this one. I, I'm coming to you guys with zero answers on this one. I'm hoping that if anybody else has witnessed something like this or experienced something like this in their own collection, they'll have some feedback. And maybe, you know, after a while, we'll figure something out here, figure out what's wrong. But right now, I'm kind of puzzled and... <laughs> I'm happy. I'm elated that this spider is okay. But again, it's, I like having answers when stuff like this happens. I like being able to go, all right, this is where I screwed up and I can't quite figure out where that happened. So the good news for this one is that I will be doing the Ephibopus rehousing video probably next weekend. And I will probably have something with us rehousing this one and the story of this one. Cause again, I want to put it up on YouTube and have other people chime in and hear what they think it may be or if they've had similar situations. So keep an eye out for that one. The other thing we're going to be talking about today, this weekend, I posted up a husbandry video on Pseudhopolopus species blue. Love these little guys. I got a lot of people asking me about them. I didn't realize that I never did an actual husbandry video on them. Or I did one, and I think it was one of the ones where it was a shorter one, so I combined it with another one. And I've kind of messed myself up with that because what happens is, Someone on YouTube will leave a, a message or a comment. Hey, could you do a husbandry video on this one? And my first reaction is like, I did. Why didn't you just search for it? And then I realized the video was probably short. So I paired it with another rehousing. The thumbnail isn't of that spider. So people don't see it. So I've been trying to, even if they're shorter videos now, I don't, I have a lot of people that will be like, we'd love longer stuff from you. The thing is, it's going to be as long as I need it to be. And if it's a quick rehousing and I'm able to get all my notes out and everything I want to say about it in six minutes or seven minutes, it's going to be a six or seven minute video. The good news is somebody that just bought this animal that is looking for good, accurate husbandry information on it, quick and to the point without commercials, you have it there. So I think the problem is it's, it's people that want the more entertaining channels where they can throw them on and have it be on for 30 minutes or a half hour. Unfortunately, that's just not me. So I'm not combining them anymore. I'm doing them by themselves because it's tricked me up before I've tried to find videos. Like I swear I did one, found it as part of another video. So decided to do one on Pseudohopolopus species blue or the Colombian blue bottle or the Colombian blue dwarf or the Colombian blue butt or whatever you want to call it. It's got a bunch of names. But I picked these guys up originally back in around mid-2017, so quite a while ago. And there were about third of an inch slings. And I think they were fairly well started because I've seen how teeny tiny these guys are at that point. I had them in very small dram vials. They did a little bit of burrowing. It was a typical moist substrate. These guys need to be kept moist. I want to make that very clear. A little moist sphagnum moss on the top. Gave them a little starter burrow on the side. They kind of used that. At the, this point, I was feeding mine pre-killed roaches, like pinhead roaches, teeny tiny roaches, or I was feeding them cricket drumsticks because they are so small at this size that it's very tough to see them even to figure out where they are in the enclosure. It's very tough to find prey items that are that small. You could use flightless fruit flies. The other thing I've used, now I use them with Pseudhopolopus species columbias, is I actually use springtails. I introduced springtails into the enclosure because they were so teeny tiny that the flightless fruit flies even look too big for them. So I use the springtails. I've spoken to other people that have used springtails with them. They're harmless. They will not hurt your spider and they will grab the little springtails and eat them. So it's kind of like a 
a constant source of food in those early teeny tiny stages. But for me, for the Pseudopelobus species blue, I wasn't using the spring. They weren't quite that small then. I was using either pre-killed baby roaches or the cricket drumsticks. Now, mine seemed to eat fairly well, and I've heard people say that theirs grew fairly quickly. Mine have grown at a slower pace overall. Now, this could be one of those spiders that for folks that keep their collections at a constant 80 degrees, I, I speak to a lot of you out there that it's like 80 degrees all year round, you're probably going to get much faster growth rate. Mine were kept when I originally got them. It was back when the tarantula room in the wintertime would be like high 60s, low 70s or so, depending on the shelf they were on. And then the summertime in the old tarantula room, it would reach usually 78 or so, mid 70s to high 70, sometimes 80, 82 degrees, usually not much warmer than that during the summer. And they grew at a moderate pace. So it was about a good year and a half, maybe close to two years when they finally got big enough that I felt like they needed to be rehoused. At this time, they were probably about an inch and a quarter or so. They were starting to show just a little bit of that blue on the bottom. Nothing spectacular yet, but you can see some semblance of what the spider would look like when it was an adult. At that point, I decided to rehouse them. Now, at this point, when they're larger slings, a deli cup would work. A 16-ounce deli cup would work. In this case, I had those, they're about 16 ounces. The acrylic cylinders you can find. I don't know what they make them for, legit, like what the actual purpose for is, but they're cylinders. They're about the same size height of the 16 ounce deli cup. I put them both into one of those. Again, I used moist substrate, packed it down, gave them like two inches or so of moist substrate, which is long, deeper than the spider was across. I gave them a cork bark hide, a starter burrow, some moss, a water dish, you know, the, the normal setup. Now, at this point, I had read that these guys are fossorial as slings. They did do some burrowing, but I'd often catch them up on top, which was great because they were hard to spot. So it was nice to see them up and know that they were alive. When I put them into the acrylic enclosures, they both did some burrowing, brought some dirt up, quickly covered up the moss and the the hide but they kept a little burrow there but usually when I would open the enclosure instead of immediately running to their burrows they'd kind of be out in the open kind of be more inquisitive and that's going to be kind of the theme with this species as far as its temperament they are a bit skittish but almost inquisitive at the same time if that makes sense so they I have had them kind of bolt around the enclosure and get a little nervous but I've also opened enclosures and had them come up and like perch right on the edge of the enclosure and kind of look at me like yo what's up which I find adorable I don't know there's something about that type of behavior in a spider that in my mind, I know it's not true, but in my mind, it almost makes me think the spider's a little more intelligent. Like it's checking stuff out like, yo, what's your deal? What are you doing? So I only mention that because A, for folks who are just getting into the hobby, maybe a little sketchy about having a spider possibly escape, that's something to be aware of to prepare for because I have seen it. I haven't had any, either of the, neither of these two have ever been out of the enclosure. They always seem to run right up to the edge and stop, but I have seen them kind of bolt around, which can be scary. And who knows if one in different circumstances or different situation could bolt out of it. I also mentioned because a lot of what you read out there says that they're fossorial and you don't see them all that much. So for folks who are afraid they're not going to see these spiders, I see mine all the the time. I have no problem getting images of them, getting video of them, getting photos of them, because more often than not, they're right out in the open. So it, it works both ways. The good thing is you have a spider that's going to be out in the open. The I, I wouldn't say bad thing, but something you need to be aware of is you could have a spider that could 
kind of get the blood pressure running if it decides to go on a little walkabout. So just a heads up about behavior. But as even at that size, even at an inch and a quarter, and there were still little dudes, they were quite inquisitive, quite out in the open, which I thought was awesome. So then later in 2019, I want to say around mid-2019 or so, it was time to rehouse one of them. It had outgrown the little old cylinder. So what I ended up moving this one into is one of the M Design kitchen and pantry containers. They're about six by seven inches by about four inches deep. And these are the ones that have the hinged sides. So you, you can open it up and it's got the hinges. You got to just make sure you cover up the space beneath the hinges if you're putting slings into it because it's a place they can escape. And I put it in there once again, two or three inches of moist substrate, cork bark hide, starter burrow, moss, water dish, you know, the whole spiel. Once again, it did some burrowing, but it was mostly out on the surface. And then after a molt or two, it actually filled in its burrow completely and lived right out in the open terrestrially. And once again, they it was a little bit skittish slash inquisitive. That could be because it stopped using its burrow. And that's something to point out that sometimes I've had ones that are like that. And then you give them bigger enclosures with a lot more room to dig and to burrow. And suddenly they burrow and they're much more reclusive. In this case, I don't think that's the case because we'll talk about what I got in now and what it's doing now, but it did stay right out in the open. The other one I ended up rehousing several months later. It was a bit bigger, so I ended up putting that one into one of the Systema Clippets. They're kind of like, it's the milky kind of plastic like Sterilite's made out of, but I like these containers for juveniles. They're about nine inches by seven inches by five inches around those dimensions. I think it's more like 6.7 and 4.7 or so and 9.3, but around that size so a bigger enclosure than the other one and once again same setup the moist substrate starter burrow cork bark sphagnum water dish put both of them in there and they both have been continued to eat really well at once they hit around the inch inch and a quarter size i started feeding them roaches smaller red runner roaches smaller crickets once they hit about two inches, they were taking medium to even almost large crickets with no problem. They were great eaters. I never had a problem with them eating, but I will say this, getting them to eat on camera has been difficult. So what will happen is I'll have Billy up there and we'll try to do a feeding video or I'll try it. Sometimes I'm up there with my camera and if I think I can catch something good, I'll catch it. And I can't tell you how many times I'll drop a prey at him in. It runs right under the spider, right to the spider, runs on the spider's leg and the spider doesn't budge. I, they both do this. I will drop, I tried to feed mine the other day and I dropped the cricket. It ran right to the spider, sat right in front of the spider, touched the spider's leg. The spider didn't move. And then later on, when I came back, after I put the top on, took the lights off it, put it back on the shelf, the spider ate fine. So I'll be curious to hear if other people notice that as well, because I do have some of those species that seem to be shy to eat when there's somebody watching them or when the lights are on them. But as soon as you cover up their container, put it back where it's supposed to be, it's a little less bright than they eat. But I have noticed that with them. So the good eaters, but you just might, at least in my case, I don't catch them eating in front of me all of that often. So this weekend, it came time to rehouse the one that I put in the kitchen and pantry container. Actually, it, it was long overdue for rehousing. It had outgrown that enclosure with the last molt easily, and I had it on the back burner as when I needed to rehouse, and some other things jumped it in, in the line, but it was time to get going and do a husbandry video on it. So we got it out there, and what we put it into is my new favorite. I, I know I joked about them. I believe I covered them on the podcast, but the Barbarous Growth Enclosures. I absolutely love them now. I think I mentioned that I bought the first one to try out and it became a joke because they're listed as like reptile glass enclosures. They're not listed under the name Barbarous Growth. So that was like when I got the box in and opened up, I couldn't stop giggling because it's obvious that 
the packaging was designed by somebody that it wasn't designed in English. Let's put it that way. There was probably some mistranslations, but it makes it amazing because it's just kind of fun and silly. But barbarous growth, that's what we're calling them. That's what words getting out there is. That's what's on the box. But I got a bunch of them for Christmas. My mom and Billy both picked me up a bunch of enclosures. So I got, a, I think, four of their about eight by eight by eight ones. And then I got three of the nine by 12 and a half by seven, I think. And obviously, I have a bunch of the larger ones as well that I have a bunch of my curtain web spiders in. So I've tried them with curtain web spiders. I've now moved over to keeping some of my smaller dwarf species in them. I love them. Just really beautiful looking enclosures. I love the fact that they're so well ventilated on the sides. The top is obviously very ventilated. It has that mesh hatch, but they're stackable. So when you stack them up, a lot of these ones that are supposedly stackable, the most of the ventilation's on the top. So as soon as you stack them, like the Exoterra Nanos, for example, are all stackable. As soon as you stack them, you lose that ventilation point. This has so much ventilation in the side, you really don't lose anything. They have the little spring-loaded and magnetized, magnetic locked hatch, feeding hatch in the side. So for example, with my curtain web spiders, if I don't feel like popping that top hatch, I don't feel like disturbing the webbing, I can just pop the cricket right through that little hatch in the side. Really nice enclosure, and they look great. I'm looking over, once again, at the four I now have over here, the four 8x8x8 ones, and they just look great sitting on the shelf. Spiders look good in them. So anyway, enough plugging that. And again, I'm doing this only because more people have been trying out the Barbarous Growth enclosures and have been liking them. And I'm always about trying to find alternatives to uh, of, of enclosures to keep spiders in. And if I find something that I like, I like passing it along. Because again, I know there's a lot of stuff out there. I've got a lot of the magnetic top ones. There's ones I like. There's ones that I'm not quite enamored with because they just don't fit what I want in a tarantula cage. So I'm always on the lookout for new stuff. So Barbara's Growth, definitely check it out. Please don't buy them all though because I plan on buying more. But anyway, moving into the 8x8x7, we put about three inches of substrate in it. Now, again, for slings, keep it moist. For juveniles, I kept part of it moist at all time, water dish. For the adults, I moistened down a corner. I keep the water dish full. I let things dry out a little bit and then I'll moisten it down again. The adults don't seem to need the moisture as much. I have noticed the juveniles and the slings, slings especially, need the moisture. Juveniles, I've noticed lingering around the water dish or the moist area. So it's just something to watch out for. But they seem definitely a little more adaptable as adults. So it's not necessary to keep all the substrate moist. I do like to give them that corner though. In this case, I gave this one a cork bark hide to hide beneath. It's got a water dish. She's got a water dish. She's got some sphagnum moss. And we put her in the enclosure. I came in to check on her. She was in the hide. I'm like, oh, she's going to hide more. And then when I took her out the feeder, she came out of the hide immediately and was out exploring. So still keeping that behavior, but she does seem to be using the hide a little bit more. We'll see if she fills that in. I've seen that with several species that they start off using the hide and then they decide, nope, I don't want it anymore. And they fill the whole thing in. Now, as far as enclosure size and whether or not this will be her adult enclosure, that depends. Right now, she's probably about three and a half inches or so. I've heard that adult females reach the four inch mark. I will play it by sight, basically. I have several four inch or so species of tarantulas in the eight by eight by eight exoterra minis, and they seem to have enough room to do their burrowing, to come out and hunt. It doesn't seem to be undersized for them. But again, I always it's one of those things I always wait to see what the spider looks like when it hits that size and it's out and about. I see it spread out on the surface. Sometimes like, yep, perfect. Sometimes like, you know what, you could use some more room. So we'll see. If I ended up moving it into something larger, I almost put it into the other barbarous growth enclosure that I had, the one that's about nine inches tall by 12 inches by about seven inches deep. That one would have gave it a little bit more room. But once I got the spider out, looked at it, I'm like, eh, probably a little big. It, it might have used the room. It might not have. 
So I decided to keep it in the 8x8. We'll see how it goes. If it puts on more... So I've had species of spiders before. People have told me they only reach 4 inches and mine get to be 5 inches. If it got to be that big, then yes, I'd put it in something different. If it's 4 inches, it's probably fine in there. If you want to try it in something larger, that's cool as well. I mean, one of the things... Once they're adults, you can put them in larger enclosures. Just don't be surprised if they don't use all of that extra room. I found that mine kind of linger around wherever their burrow is. But it would be interesting to see. And I'll tell you, this was in the back of my mind with this species being so adventurous and inquisitive if it might go out and explore more. So something to think about. So it's in that one now. The other one that is in the Systema enclosure, although it's got about the same amount of floor space, I will likely put it in one of these as well, only because it's a prettier enclosure. It gives it a little more vertical room to do a little bit more with the landscaping, a little bit more with the substrate. And I just like having, when I have two of the same species, I like to have them in the same enclosure. So we'll definitely be moving that one over to a barbarous growth one as well. So as far as temps, we went over the temperatures. Right now, the changes in the nutrient room, I talked about the older one was a little cooler during both times of year. The winter now, it's usually right around, I have the thermostat set at 73. Now, lower shelves, it's going to be a little cooler. Higher shelves might be a little warmer. And there are times where it gets super cold outside where the heat struggles to keep up in here. And it usually dips down to like high 60s for a little bit and then creeps back up. But that's about it. And as far as my feeding schedule is concerned, when they're a little teeny tiny ones, I tend to feed my small slings twice a week because I'm trying to get them out of that teeny tiny stage as quickly as possible. Juveniles, I've been feeding once a week now. And then my adults, it's every two or three weeks. I've really backed down from the aggressive feeding schedules only because they don't need to be fed all that much. So I feed them a little bit larger meal and less often. I check on them all quite a bit. I want to make that very clear. It's not like I sit there, put them on a shelf for three weeks and forget about them. I'm constantly in there with a flashlight, refilling water dishes, checking, poking around. It's just I don't feel the need to feed them as much as I was in the past. In the past, everybody got fed weekly. Now certain ones get fed weekly, certain ones get fed bi-weekly, certain ones get fed every three weeks or so. If something molts, like for example, if I notice something molts, I wait till it hardens up and I do tend to pump a little bit of food to it those first two weeks. So I might feed it twice, two weeks, like in a, twice in a week, two weeks in a row, just to fatten it up a little bit. And then I ease back down to my normal schedule. But again, with feeding, use a feeding schedule that works for you. So that's what I have on Pseudhopalopus species blue. I'd be curious to hear who of you out there currently keep the species. If you notice anything similar, if you've noticed different traits or different behaviors, if you've got yours, how quickly did they grow? I know mine grew a little more on the slow side. I mean, they're about three and a half inches now after close to, we're going on six years. That's kind of slower growth rate, obviously a little faster than some of the other species that are out there. But a little when I first got these, somebody's like, don't worry, they grow very quickly. Mine didn't grow very quickly. And the last thing for these guys is, do I've had people ask, do they make a good beginner species? Yes, as long as you're cautious with the moisture level. They're not what I would call moisture-dependent species. But I do think the situations I've seen where people have struggled with them is when they have smaller specimens and they let things dry out too much. They do need a little moisture as a sling, but almost every sling out there needs moisture. So that doesn't make them any more difficult than your normal beginner species. As juveniles, I would keep a corner moist in a water dish. I don't think that's very difficult. As far as temperament, the only thing I can see that might freak out somebody new to the hobby is they're not necessarily the type that's just going to pet rocket and sit there and do nothing. They will move around the enclosure. They might run around. They might come over the edge. I might freak people out. So just be aware there, but they seem to be pretty easy to raise up. They're good looking spiders. They're tempered. They're not, I've never had one kick hair. I've never had any defensive poses from them. So something to think about for somebody looking for, you know, if you're out there looking looking for a blue tarantula and you're just getting into the hobby, they might be something you can consider. So Sudhapalopus species blue, beautiful spiders. Unfortunately, 
you can't see that blue booty, but my lord, is it breathtaking. I mean, they the, when the light hits it, it's like this metallic, it almost looks like it's glowing from within. It's really an incredible looking spider. And mine, now that they put on some size, the blue is shifted more to a purple color. So for a while, it was like this bright metallic blue. Now it's almost got a darker uh, purplish tinge to it. But whatever the case, it's gorgeous. So that will do it for this one. Again, Happy New Year to everybody out there. Hope everybody's having a, a great one. Hope those of you that teach are ready to go back to school. Tell me how quick that break went. As always, you can find me on ThomasBigSpiders.com. You can find me on ThomasBigSpiders Podcast if you want to leave comments. And you can find me on YouTube if you want to check out the Pseudhopalopus Species Blue. Please take a peek because Billy got some absolutely beautiful shots of it. You not only get the overall, the body color is like this grayish color, which really interacts well with that blue. And she's got some really nice close-up pics of it where you can see that booty pop, which is fantastic. That will do it for this one, guys. Happy 2023, and we'll catch you all the next time.